the CEO, head of HR, the board, they've got to set a tone of accountability. They've got to make leadership accountability clear. They also have to do some tough stuff, right? They have to have zero tolerance for leaders who are toxic, managers who are bad managers. You can even, regardless of how good their performance is, you can't tolerate behavior that just violates your values. It just confuses the organization. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What gets you up in the morning? What drives your decisions? What do you stand for? No idea? Not even sure where to start? I use my values to guide my life and career. It's the basis of how I've built boundaries for myself and stuck to them. Are you ready to dig into what matters to you? Go to thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet. That's thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet to get to your core values and take action on what matters most. Welcome to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm excited to have our guest, Dr. Vince Molinaro, with us today to talk about his book, Accountable Leaders. Dr. Vince Molinaro is a professional public speaker, global leadership advisor, entrepreneur, and New York Times bestselling author. Vince has delivered keynotes in 25 countries and 80 cities. His purpose is to help leaders really understand what it means to be a leader confront mediocrity, and inspire a culture where everyone steps up, takes ownership, and delivers results. His books, including Accountable Leaders, The Leadership Contract, and The Leadership Contract Field Guide, serve as a foundation of many leadership programs and companies around the world. As founder and CEO of Leadership Contract, Inc., Vince and his team help companies build and scale leadership accountability at all levels. He and his teams have designed and delivered many award-winning leadership development programs, including the Leadership Contract, regarded as a top international training program by HR.com and winner of a Thought Leadership Award by the ADECO Group and Miko Leadership Institute. I hope you enjoy our conversation as we geek out on leadership development. Let's get started. Well, welcome so much to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today as a guest and just thank you so much and really excited to dig into our conversation. Well, thanks for making time for me. Uh, Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, well, um, before we get started, can we just tell everybody your story and what brought you to this point in your career? Well, right now I run my own company. I provide leadership advisory services and really help organizations 
typically that are at a critical kind of strategic inflection point. Uh, they have an opportunity to drive accelerated growth, or it could be post-merger acquisition, or there's been lagging performance and they've got to really, you know, right the ship. And generally at those moments, uh, there's new expectations of leaders. And so we come in, help the organization define what it means to be a leader in the organization going forward. We create what I call a company-specific leadership contract with clear expectations. And then we help leaders really internalize them, understand them, and build their capabilities to lead the company, you know, in this next phase of, of growth. You know, that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, I've done that kind of leadership advisory work for, for a number of years, uh, both on my own, but also within large organizations, uh, kind of have uh, had the global executive experience, uh, a lot of entrepreneurial experience, and also internal roles within the organization. And how all of this kind of started was many, many years ago when I first entered the workforce and worked in a large public sector organization that did really important work. Uh, we helped some of the neediest people in our society get their lives back on track. Unfortunately, while that purpose was compelling, the organization's culture or working environment was just drab and dreary. And there was one manager there who enlisted me and a few other young employees to try to turn things around, which we did for a period of time. Unfortunately for her, while she took me under her wing and was the best I was ever exposed to, she had to leave that organization because she was diagnosed with lung cancer, had to start her treatments right away. And many, many months later, as I heard, she wasn't doing well, I visited her. And in that visit, she revealed to me that she believed the disease she was fighting was a direct result of the stress she endured in that organization as a senior manager. And it was really a toxic management culture that she lived through. So she, uh, she, she passed away shortly after that visit. Before doing so, she penned me a letter with advice and encouragement, a letter that I've kept all those decades. And she challenged me in that letter to what was I going to do uh, with my own life? And I decided to leave that organization. I really caught this leadership bug and uh, ventured out when I was 27 to start my own business. And that is kind of where I've evolved ever since. And I've also done my writing, my research, uh, the books, you know, to complement that over the years. So as, as we were talking before, like you, I'm, I'm a leadership geek because ultimately I've learned in, in my career, in my life, that it all comes down to leadership, both in effective leadership and great leadership. And we are in a point in time in our world where we need great leadership absolutely everywhere. Absolutely. And what a compelling story to build that career and to leave the legacy and to continue her legacy even too. I hope so. Uh, it's certainly what I what I was trying to do for sure. And I've been trying to do. Yeah, awesome. Well, so your newest book, Accountable Leadership, you, I'm just going to dig right in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you mentioned doing it the right way. And you kind of alluded to that also in the story you just told. Like, can you tell me what it means and what it doesn't mean? And where have you seen leaders fail when you, when they think they're doing it the right way, when really they're not? Well, this, you know, the the Accountable Leaders, which came out last June, uh, really builds off of my previous work uh, on the leadership contract. And that really, that came out in 2013. And, and that was really driven after the great financial crisis, which was probably the, the last crisis before the uh, global pandemic. Uh, you know, I find anytime organizations, even individuals go through something significant like that, they reevaluate everything. And companies were reevaluating uh, at that time, 
everything they were doing around developing leaders, because they were, I was just hearing this constant lament and frustration of we're investing, but we're not seeing that investment translate into stronger leadership. And it was one particular meeting where someone said, it's like they don't know what it means to be a leader. And that, that sentence just captured something, a problem that companies were having. So I dug into that and out of that came the leadership contract, which really positioned that ultimately when you take on a leadership role, you've signed up for something really, really important. And I believe there's an implicit contract that's always been there, but the reality is a lot of leaders aren't really aware of it. And so they take on a role often because they're really strong technically, Mm -hmm. or uh, they're a great individual performer. And we go to those individuals, tap them on the shoulder, uh, their shoulders and say, well, you're so good at this thing. Now we're going to give you this job that's completely different. We'll throw you in it, pay you a little more, give you a better title. And guess what? We won't support your development because that's generally the story I heard over and over again. And good luck with that. And it's, it's just not a good way to set leaders up for success. And so, you know, that book came out back in the summer of 2013, and and there was something in the message that immediately resonated in the marketplace as companies brought those ideas in. uh, We were, you know, helping their leaders really kind of understand what it means to be a leader, help them step up, have success. We did global research that validated everything we were seeing through, through our work with customers. And then, you know, as, as I sort of started reflecting on that work, customers were saying, we do need leaders to be more accountable. And I'll come back to that point later, but they also need to drive accountability at a team level and at an organizational level. And that's what drove the newest book, Accountable Leader. So I have what I call kind of my own nonfiction trilogy between the leadership contract, a leadership contract field guide, and now Accountable Leaders. And its basic premise is after I've done all the research, I've read all the books, uh, we've delivered tons of leadership programs, my teams and I have over the years as well as providing coaching and assessment. Ultimately, for me, it is accountability that differentiates truly great leaders from mediocre ones. And if you lead with accountability, it's the difference that makes the difference when it comes to leadership. And and all my work with customers just keeps reaffirming that. And it was interesting, you know, when we went into lockdown last year and I was reaching out to customers to see how they were doing, common question was, well, how is this event changing your views around leadership accountability. And I said, well, what do you think? You're, you're applying these ideas in your company. And the answer was unanimous. They said, oh my goodness, leadership accountability is going to be even more critical now than it even was. And, and that's certainly a theme we've seen over the last 15 to 18 months. And how are you defining accountability? If you think as a leader, is it doing what you say that you say that you're going to do? Is it meeting your objectives? What does it entail? Yeah, there's there's a few aspects to the definition. You know, first one, it's this real deep personal ownership for your leadership role. Uh, What we've learned is when you move really strong technical people into a leadership role, what we don't realize is that they actually still think of themselves as the technical experts. In fact, I share a story where that idea just became so clear to me years back where a participant in a program, a senior leader, an engineer by training, uh, who got to a VP level, so made it to you know the executive ranks in his company. But in the session, as we were talking about this idea of personal ownership and defining yourself as a leader, he said, no, no, I think of leadership as my part-time job. I'm, I'm an engineer first. That's why I micromanage my teams, because I want to get into the details of the projects. Oh, yeah, that leadership stuff, I think I've got a free window Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 2.30. That's when I'll do the leadership stuff. And I realized, 
holy cow, we've got organizations filled of part-time leaders, mm -hmm. even though we're paying them full-time full -time salaries to the leaders. And so it's a very subtle thing that's going on, but, but we have to put a spotlight on it, not in a blaming or a negative way, but to say, hey, we need to understand this is what's going on and this is limiting their success and it's limiting your organization's success. And so the first thing is about this personal ownership and defining yourself as a leader. The second element of it is really bringing this sense of urgency to the role uh, and to you know, tackle the challenging things that leaders have to tackle. And, and, and what we find in practice is that a lot of those things, while obvious, are all about where, where leaders struggle is around the tough things around people issues, managing poor performers, giving candid feedback, you know, making what is a tough business decision that you know is in the best interest of your company, but you know if you make that decision, you'll be unpopular with your team. So you, you put it off as long as you can. And all of these things actually just slow you down, you know, impede uh, effectiveness and execution. And we're not really aware of that collective impact when all your leaders are doing that. And they are. We, we just, it keeps getting validated, you know, day in and day out. And then the, the other element is, is really this sense of uh, really being clear on what your obligation is as a leader. And if you lead with accountability and you set the tone for others, that's one of the most important things that you can do as a leader, because you can't demand accountability from anyone else until you are accountable first yourself. That's a slam dunk. That's what happens. So, so that's how we're kind of defining leadership accountability at the individual level. I love that last one, especially in terms of modeling the behavior, because there's so many managers, executives that expect so much, but they're literally not walking the same talk. And it's funny because I didn't realize it until I wrote Accountable Leaders. I went back to an experience I had when I was 16. I got my first part-time job in a, in a men's clothing store. And the manager who hired me was awesome. He set the tone. He would never ask us to do anything he wouldn't be prepared to do himself. He was great. And what happens with great leaders? Well, he got promoted to the largest flagship store of the company and in came his successor. And he proclaimed quite proudly every shift, he would say, don't do as I do, do as I say. And I realized, and I remember there being like 16, 17 going, I don't get how this is going to work. Uh, <laughs> even though I understood nothing about management and leadership, I just knew how that made me feel, right? But it's like, wait a minute, you got a standard for yourself and a standard for us. And so that's where the term double standard comes, right? Where, where it's sort of like we think he came into his position with this sense of entitlement and privilege and thought we were all there to kind of serve him with, I guess, technically we are as his employees, but clearly didn't set a tone of accountability. And, it, and I remember how, it, how I felt differently under his leadership versus the prior manager who hired me. Yeah. And it's interesting because did your job actually change or did your manager just change? the manager changed the job was ex the job was exactly the same and i was feeling all those things for the first time mm. you know as an employee kind of going well that's that's weird so the little that i know that that leadership geek the seeds of 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 interest in leadership was seeded way back then in my teens it's really interesting how um universal and fundamental some of those same themes are in your first job and even now right and it's all different kinds of organizations. But at the end of the day, it comes back to some of those same tenants that you just described. Yeah, well, in our programs, one of the key activities that we do, and it's a, it's a typical one that I'm sure people have done at some point, is we, we have people reflect on the experiences that have shaped them to be 
the leader who they are today. And, mm-hmm. and as we know from, you know, research that did, you know, done years ago by Warren Bennis, where ultimately, you know, it's, it's experiences that often are the most formative things that develop a leader, but a lot of leaders aren't really aware of those, how those experiences, both positive ones and negative ones have shaped them. And once they start mapping these out and they start realizing, you know, the impact of a great boss, the impact of a mediocre boss, the impact of a absolutely dreadful boss, you know, it, it, it just drives a ton of insight in leaders. And then the question, you know, I always like asking and, and, and all the facilitators that run the programs like asking is, so if your team members were doing their reflection, uh, what kind, where would you show up as a leader? Would you be that positive leader above the line who just inspires or are you going to be that negative leader? And that usually brings a, a tone of silence in the room as leaders reflect on that. Absolutely. And what do you want to be known for? So I love that bit of reflection because I think all of us that are listening to this podcast can think about that for themselves. Like, you know, do that reflection of um, your career journey. What impacts did leaders have on you? And then what legacy are you leaving? Yeah, for sure. And, and it's, and it's a question we've got to be asking on a regular basis. I've seen sometimes, you know, really, really strong seasoned leaders who are kind of, you know, maybe two to three years out of retirement, where they start thinking about, hmm, maybe I need to start thinking about the legacy I'm leaving, mm-hmm. you know, and usually my, my answer is, you know, you've been leaving a legacy for the last 30 years, right? Uh, but, but we don't tend to kind of make that connection sometimes. No, I, I think that is so true. Um, I think that I've experience that in many different CEOs that I've worked for in terms of, you know, I'm transitioning out, this is the legacy I want to leave. And sometimes it's quite different than the leaders that they were. Um, And I think they're at the point of reflection, right? And sometimes those are the best years are their last couple. Yeah. And what have you seen? uh, What shifts in those cases? Like what shifts in their leadership? as they start thinking about leaving a legacy? You know, I to me, it feels like they become more people-centric. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, probably start focusing more on developing mm-hmm. people, mentoring, guiding, yeah. probably a little more patient. A lot uh, more patient, yeah. yeah. You know, asking more questions and more mm-hmm. curiosity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, life well, if you could do that every day, not just in the last three to five years of your career, things would be much better. Yeah. And it's, and it's just interesting. I think what falls away is the expectations of themselves to the board or to shareholders or whatever it is. And so they feel more comfortable potentially spending that time there. Yeah. Um, Interesting. mm -hmm. But to your point, like, can you do that throughout your whole career? And that's, that's the key. So um, you mentioned earlier this idea of individual level leadership and then team level and then organizational or culture. Can you talk about kind of how all of those intertwine and build towards each other? And like, even you mentioned too, you know, you could have team, this great team culture of accountability, but potentially not within the organization and what, what happens there? Really, as I said, it is all of, all of those ideas are really rooted and anchored in, in our experience with, leaders in companies trying to get important work done and, and running into roadblocks from a, from a leadership standpoint. And so the, the three levels of, of leadership accountability start with kind of individual. So it's about you being accountable, you demonstrating that ownership, that sense of urgency, 
that clarity of obligation that Laurie and I talked about earlier. Then what we heard is, but they've got to know, leaders have got to know how to build an accountable team. And so now it's kind of that, that capability get, is ratcheted up a, a level. And we find that a lot of leaders uh, actually struggle with that. Our global research uh, on, on those three levels reflects that companies estimate that about uh, 49% of leaders in their companies are truly accountable. So that's about half. That's not great. About 80% of teams are deemed to be mediocre. So they're not performing where they need to. And when you look at the cultural uh, aspect, particularly as it relates to leadership culture, 66% of companies believe they have a weak leadership culture. So when I look at those data points, I certainly get a little worried about a company's ability to drive success in a sustainable way uh, because you just, there's gaps everywhere. So even if I, as at an individual level, lead with accountability and set that tone, it's not enough. Uh, I've got to know how to build an accountable team. And then that third element is when you get to a certain level, usually at that mid-level, where now it's no longer about you, it's no longer about your team. Uh, well, it is, but now in a t- and on top of that, you're now having to work with peers and colleagues and other functions and departments across the organization to execute strategic priorities as seamlessly and effectively as you can. And if you've spent any time trying to do that, that's not easy, right? Because now you're, you're trying to get buy-in, you're trying to you know, coalesce people who you don't have any formal authority or power over. And so it's all based on your ability to build relationships, to build a sense of community, um, to influence, to build credibility and trust. And so that, that's an even more sophisticated set of leadership capabilities that leaders need to have. And so it's really thinking about that, you know, just, just last week, we did two public workshops for the first time, because uh, historically, 100% of my work has been with organizations, mm-hmm. uh, B2B, and, and many folks have said, can you ever, you know, do something, you know, that's more to the consumer in a public format? And uh, I have for years written in June, what I call a mid-year gut check blog, where it just allows leaders to pause and think about how has the first six months of the year gone by. So this year, my team and I said, well, let's let's run this as a workshop as opposed to putting out another, another blog or two. And that's what we did. And we had the participants kind of think about their, their leadership accountability individually at a team and you know, at that culture level. And at that culture level, when we asked them to assess how satisfied they were with the kind of impact they had, that was still a, still a challenge. That, that's the one that remains a challenge. And these were all very senior director level and above leaders. Uh, so it, it, is, it is tougher work, and, but we've got to be thinking about it. So uh, in Accountable Leaders, I describe, you know, what, what that world is like in each of those levels. So how to build, you know, what, it, what does an accountable team look like? What does it look like when you're part of a strong leadership culture where, where that collective or shared accountability is strong? And then there are corresponding chapters that say, and here's how you do it. So that you know, a leader and, and the reader can walk away with very practical how-tos on how to hold others accountable, how to build an accountable team, and how to work with peers across the organization you know, to drive success. I love that idea of the mid-year check-in. Um, that's so important. And I love that your your book gives specific actionable tips on how to do all of those things. Do you find that even if you're a leader 
in an organization at a culture level that does not have one of a of high accountability that you can still make progress it's it sometimes feels like you're up against a wall so what can you what advice can you give leaders who find themselves wanting to do this for their team and have that culture within their team, but at the organizational level, it's very hard. Yeah, and, and I think that's where you have to decide a couple of things, right? First, an assessment of what can you control? Well, you can control yourself, how you step up. Uh, so be committed to, to, to setting the tone of accountability for others. Number two, you do control your team, you know, both in terms of who's on your team and how that team works together uh, to execute your priorities. Because, you know, uh, I've been in large organizations, I'm sure you have as well, where, you know, even employees have a sense of, you know, the teams that just seem to have their act together and are just, yeah. are just rocking and yeah. the teams that are struggling. So, so be that team that everybody else wants to be on. Uh, you can do that, right? And that you basically create a better experience for yourself, a better experience for your team, and you encourage others by setting, setting a tone. On that cultural element, you, you do have some, you know, you do have control in terms of uh, building the community that's going to work for you. And while you may not be able to change the entire culture of an entire company, you can certainly influence your own, your own sense of community and your own tribe. And the way you do it is in a very practical way is to say, okay, what are the priorities that my team and I have to deliver against? Who are we dependent on to drive our success. So are there like the enabler functions? Do we need the help of finance or IT or legal or HR or whomever? Well, build your relationships with those leaders and make those as positive as you can be. Because if those relationships are positive, it immediately translates into better working relationship in, you know, with your teams uh, who are having to work with them. Are there other departments or divisions that you've got to work together? Because there's just so much wasted energy with you know, these traditional uh, internal uh, battles that go on between, you know, sales and marketing, uh, <laughs> between, you know, R&D and operations or, or whatever, whatever the duality is. I, I share a story in the leadership contract. We were working, uh, facilitating a two-day strategy meeting with a group of, of leaders that were just at each other. And at one point, it was about 80, 80 senior leaders. And at one point, like all hell breaks loose as everyone's blaming one another. They were obviously they weren't succeeding in the market. And I had to stand on top of a table to get their attention and yell out at them. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, you have lost perspective. The competition is out there. It's not in here. And while you're in here fighting, your competition is just, you're making it so easy for them because you have lost your perspective, right? And so that plays out, unfortunately, so many times in so many companies that I see that it's just such a waste of, of energy. And that's where in Accountable Leaders, I, I have the last four chapters that speak to the accountability of the CEO, the board, the head of human resources, and the extended leadership team on they are responsible for ensuring they define the expectations of leadership for all leaders. Again, only about half of the companies in our global research reveals that they even do that. So imagine, you know, you're working in a company, you want to be a good leader, you want to set the tone with your team, you want to work with your peers, but the company hasn't made it clear, here's what it means to be a leader in our, our company. So some folks who are really good figure it out, but a lot of people don't. And so you have leaders who are, who are not really clear. I was just chatting with 
the head of leadership development for a large um, global health sciences company. And they're finding they really need to support their their frontline people managers because they've not really spent a lot of time. And based on all their focus groups, two messages came clear. Uh, What they said is, just give me clarity of expectation. What do you expect of me to do as a people manager? Because they hadn't defined that. And number two, give me a a community that I can lean on for support. Those are very doable, right? Yeah. And a company can really address that and, and have great, great traction and really accelerate not only the success of those people managers, but then in building a strong leadership culture. So the CEO, head of HR, the board, they've got to set a tone of accountability. They've got to make leadership accountability clear. They also have to do some tough stuff, right? That they have to have zero tolerance for leaders who are toxic managers who are bad managers, you can even, regardless of how good their performance is, you can't tolerate behavior that just violates your values. It just confuses the organization. And all your speak becomes hot air because they know that ultimately what you preach isn't isn't reflected in, in, in your practice. And then you've got to find ways for leaders to kind of connect and build relationships with one, with one another and create those and facilitate those mechanisms, even virtually. Uh, we're, we're helping many companies do that virtually now, and, and it's having a great, uh, a great cultural impact. Yeah, it's still really interesting to me to see the executive or manager who gets the job done, right? But the way they go about doing it is just, you know, is completely counterintuitive to the mission or the vision or the values of the organization or who they've run over to get the the praise. And sometimes it's seen as heroics, right? Look at all, look, look at what this person's done. And, you know, it's great. Meanwhile, everybody else is like barely a lot because yeah. they've been working too much or they were treated horribly. And so it's a very hard place to be in, a, in an organization. And I think it happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and, and that's the, that, that is the unfortunate part. It does exactly you know, happen a lot. What we also don't appreciate, because we tend to see only the things that are visible, like attrition, people leaving, mm-hmm. which happens. But the bigger challenge is not the people leaving. It's, it's the people who stay and basically are giving you no discretionary effort, yeah. right? They're, they're just saying, it's not worth it. I'll show up. I'll do my job barely, but I'm, you're not going to get my best ideas. You're not going to really get my passion. Uh, you're not going to get my ingenuity, my creativity. And, and that, I think, is something that a lot of organizations miss. It's true. It's that stay and quit attitude, and it happens a lot. I think, too, there's... You know, people right now, especially in the U.S., we're kind of writing out like what is return to work, return to work. I mean, return to the office, right? But this idea of returning to the office and I've been dealing with, you know, these behaviors even virtually and I'm just going to see how it pans out. And then they, the top talent that has decided to kind of stay and quit and just see how everything kind of settles as we are hopefully coming out of the pandemic soon, they are probably gonna leave, right? And what can we do um, as leaders now, to your point, to get the best of people and just understand who who are our top performers and our key contributors 
um, and hold them accountable to that performance we know they're capable of. I think it's it's a lot of the same things that, you know, good and great leaders always do. You're you're setting the tone. You know, I think I think if you are a leader who has, you know, not been behaving in a way that's aligned with values or or let's let's be honest, you're a sociopath. <laughs> uh, you've got to be honest with yourself and get help because I think people don't realize is, you know, your days are numbered because what I've learned in, in the span of my career is uh, if I go back to my colleague who was in that toxic management culture and and I reflect on that story and I ask myself, if it was so bad, why did she stay? And I didn't get that answer until many years later when, when and her name was Zinta, is that Zinta was a baby boomer. And the ethic of the baby boomers is that you put up with all the crap, no matter how bad it is. And I think they're not appreciated because as a generation, they put up with some of the worst bosses that have ever existed. And you just put up with it and you wear it like a badge of honor, right? Uh, Gen X, a little different. Millennials and certainly uh, Gen Z, they're not going to put up with that. They're not. They come in expecting to work for great leaders. In fact, uh, that was what how millennials changed the workplace, right? And, and so we, we, we kind of put that on its head by blaming millennials for having, you know, out of whack expectations and whatnot. It's like, no, no, wait a minute. You bring these bright, ambitious young people into an organization, surround them with a group of mediocre leaders, and now you're expecting them to get to get excited about that? No, no, that's not on them. That's on you for allowing that mediocrity to seep in from a leadership perspective. Gen, Gen Z, I think, is are, are going to be interesting because I believe, based on what I've observed, my kids are in that in that demographic, and as I see them and others, they're coming in already with a more uh, sophisticated perspective of leadership. And because most of them, either to get into college or to get jobs, have had to demonstrate, prove to us the leadership experience you have, right? There's a, a, an application that, you know, give us your transcripts, let us know your mark. But in most programs, there's also a supplementary application that needed to also talk about their leadership experiences. They've had more leadership development entering the workplace than any other generation before it. So, you know, you, you think the pressure was great on leaders uh, with the millennials, it's going to be even greater with Generation Z. And, and if you're a great leader, they're going to stick around, maybe not for 20 years, but they're going to stick around. They're going to add great value. Uh, and if you're not, you'll have no one left to lead uh, because they'll, they'll leave. And they, they network with one another. So they, they, they share who, who a good manager is, who a mediocre manager is, who, who uh, you know, downright awful managers. It's, it's no secret. Everybody knows. And so these are the dynamics. Now, as the world has gone virtual, I think it's been interesting to see that this is going to ultimately be a test of trust, um, in my opinion, because I've led global teams. The, they've primarily been virtual. Uh, we've been fortunate to drive great results. And we're thinking some have this misguided view that just because you have someone in an office, that somehow they're productive or that if you don't see them, uh, you can't trust them to deliver what you need to deliver. So we're going to force everyone back to the office. In fact, in the month of uh, July, my, my blog posts are going to focus on the theme of trust. And I'm going to go after some of these underlying things that I think get, get back down to fundamental, you know, theory X, theory Y. Do you ultimately believe people are self-motivated uh, and can be trusted or do you believe otherwise? 
And I think this whole move to hybrid work is putting that fundamental assumption under, under the microscope in a pretty big way. And you're already seeing some leaders, you know, in the media, you know, you, you kind of go, why well, it's 2021. And that person made that statement. Like, don't they, don't you think that people aren't going to be committed to driving your company's success? Do you think you got to force them in an office or not give them the flexibility they need? So the next couple of years are going to be interesting for sure. I can't wait to read some of your thoughts on, on that. I think it absolutely is trust. And it's just so interesting, kind of this idea of, you know, what is now possible. I've read, you know, one too many LinkedIn articles about, you know, to have the culture and to keep our culture, we have to be together in the office. Well, what have you been doing for the past, you know, 18 months? Like you've yeah. still, you know, done all of the things. Um, and so this idea of inflexibility is going to be remembered, I think. And I think um, there's just a lot of companies that are seeing the value of that and they will offer it and they will offer flexibility and they will extend the trust and they'll reap the rewards. So like you said, it's the people that want those kinds of, of environments will give that much more to those, those employers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And if, you know, and, and those employers and those senior leaders that have showed up well, you know, during the health crisis, uh, have gone, you know, above and beyond and supporting employees, things like that uh, get remembered forever, as does the flip side. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And um, we usually have a call to action at the end of our, um, at the end of the podcast. And I love this idea of accountability. So it feels like the call to action should be to be an accountable leader and that you should want that for yourself. And I love this idea of, you know, like we mentioned before, this exercise of critical moments in your own career, have some self-reflection now and where would, you know, your direct reports or your team put you on their career journey? Is there anything else that you'd like to leave with our audience? Well, all those uh, ideas, th- there's a lot that we that we share. Um, and so the easiest thing is just to go to the, the website, drvincemolinero.com. And there, obviously, people can, can read about the work. They can subscribe to the uh, my weekly gut check uh, for leaders blog that I've been writing since 2012, I think. So it's um, almost going on a decade, as well as we launched last year, a lead the future uh, video podcast where I interview, you know, leaders who I feel are doing really interesting things and, and also uh, provocative thinkers around critical leadership topics that we need to be thinking about. And then there's a bunch of eBooks and things that people can download. So if these ideas are even remotely interesting, there's lots on the website for people to follow up on. That's awesome. So um, we will put all of those links in the show notes of this episode. And the other call to action, I would say to dig in for actionable tips and tools at the leader level, team level, and organizational cultural level. There's so much really great content and actionable things to do to be an accountable leader in his book, Accountable Leadership. And you can grab it on Amazon. Thanks so much, Laura. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss a show. Editing and support for this podcast is from SNE Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care. Mm-hmm.